And welcome back to XP Podcast. I'm Melissa. I'm Alex. And today we are switching things up a little bit and we're going to talk about a specific game. That's right. This game is going to be Five Nights at Freddy's. By Scott Coffin. Released in about 2014, I believe. Somewhere around August, around about that? Yeah, I think they recently had their, what, seven year anniversary that would be? Jeez, seven years already? Holy. Yeah, it's it's a big franchise. Oh boy. Yeah. We're at a total of how many games? Like that? maybe uh, eight um, now? We're going to have one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Eleven games! Eleven games in the span of seven years. We also got books. We are getting a movie from uh, sometime, um, whatever. This century, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. And, um, and there's so many spinoff games. So many spinoffs. So, what exactly is Five Nights at Freddy's? Well, essentially, the basic concept of the first three games, at least, you are a security guard in an office in some form of pizzeria. The first game, it's Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria. And you're in this room, and you're trying to basically ward off these animatronics who are trying to get in. Um, the story is a little iffy for the first one. It gets more and more add-on, added to as the games go on, but canonically, there's something going on with animatronics. They're just trying to supposedly turn you into an animatronic because of some wiring issue, programming issue, but basically, they are just trying to uh, essentially give you a game over, and basically, you survive until 6 a.m. You do this five nights, and you... Beat the... Get like a $120 paycheck. <laughs> Which, like, go across the street to Taco Bell and go wash some dishes or something. Like, don't put yourself through this trauma. Yeah, go go get away from that Chuck E. Cheese spinoff and go to, like, Taco Bell or actual Chuck E. Cheese where they give you, like, what? 200 or probably 200 for, like, a high school type of job. Maybe 400, 450, maybe 500 for adult. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Chuck E. Cheese would pay me if I was working there. I don't know what that mouse would give me. Would he just pay me in cheese? What was his middle name, too? Like, it was, like, establishment? (laughs) I don't know. There's something. I don't know. Chuck E. Entertainment Cheese. That is his name. Canonically. So Canonically. So, okay, back to the game. Because that is what we are talking about. We have. Yep, that's what we're talking about. Essentially, and then as... As I mentioned earlier, it was the first three games where you were this, you know, like, security guard. Uh, The fourth game actually switches this up by you are a child in a house. Mm -hmm. And there are multiple theories on exactly what you're seeing. Because, obviously, animatronics isn't something you normally see in your house. Unless you're, you know, the person who made the franchise and left them in his garage. (laughs) Like, or Scott Coffin. Or Scott Coffin. Well, like, no, I meant, like, the whole chains, remember? In, like, the lore of things, the person oh, who made the restaurants, okay. he kept his animatronics in his house. That, yeah, that that was your first mistake. <laughs> yeah. And so, as far as the story goes, there's a, there's a lot of things to, to unpack when you're talking about Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, this specific YouTube... Uh, channel called Game Theory actually has made over 50 videos on the franchise, which is insane. Yeah, and a lot of them is just just trying to talk about 
like the lore itself like we we haven't even really solved the timeline things we got like a general basis but with each new installment with each each new uh piece of evidence discovered sometimes it really changes it's slowly becoming legend of zelda at this point with the timeline yeah like i remember how simple the first game seemed like so each night you get a phone call from who is referred to as phone guy and he is essentially a person trying to basically give you a tutorial on how to use your security cameras how to keep away the animatronics and so he mentions in the phone call that there was the bite of 87 and i remember for years people were trying to figure out like who done did it yeah you know and then the fourth game tried to like try to like make a little uh trick on us and try to reveal that <clears throat> that the bite of 87 actually happened in this location but actually it was a different year entirely it was a it's different like event or yeah the, yeah and that's i think that's the reason why the original location in the game canonically shut down was that because of that that incident yeah i remember like when the first game first came out so first game there's four animatronics for you to keep track of there's freddy fazbear chica the chicken bonnie the bunny and foxy the pirate how come, you know, Freddy gets, like, a real, like, good name and everyone else? He gets else an actual just... last name and everyone's just like, it's a bunny. It's, it's a... a chicken. <laughs> bunny. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, is, is, is this a fox? Oh, no, it's a pirate. It's uh, a pirate. No. Oh, got it. But he is a fox, but he's a pirate. <laughs> yeah, like, who says Foxy the Fox? I don't know. People that just uh, rather just go by its animal yeah, uh, form. Yeah, yeah. Or that part of the internet, but we're not going to go School program. Anyway, so... There were so many people that were trying to piece together, like, between these four animatronics only, um, who did the bite of 87, and it's implied that it was to a child. So, I remember I saw there was, like, basically fan fiction, essentially, of, like, each animatronic's point of view, if they had you know, bitten a child yeah. during hours. It, it's weird. Everyone went so in-depth with this, and then there was newspaper clippings that added even more mm-hmm. story to the game that, like, you would never find originally. Like, you would have to, like, not even skim. You would have to full-on scan every camera it is. And, like, there's only one camera that has the newspaper cl- clippings, but, like, it changes with each night. I know, and... Uh, I think what people mainly pinned it on was Foxy the Pirate because he was basically, his area wasn't in use. Yeah, it was, like, it was out, of, out order. of order. That's what it was. And his main mechanic was he would slowly peek out of, the area is called Pirate Cove. He yeah. would slowly peek out at you, and if you weren't looking at him enough, he would, you know, run after you and bang on your doors. Yeah. So, that's, like, people originally thought, oh, it's Foxy, definitely, that did it. But then the second game came out. Which a lot of people debated whether it was a sequel or a prequel. It's which, a prequel. It, which is, canonically, it is a prequel because yep. of the paycheck that you get at the end, which is dated 19, uh, 1987? 1988? I think it was 87. 87? Yeah. Which created more theories on the bite of 87. Uh, there was, so there's the... So many more. There were so many more characters that, like... What, 11 animatronics now? Yeah, in including the, the original cast. Yeah. So you got Freddy, you got Bonnie, you got Chica, you got Foxy. They're and then you got the toy ones. versions of that. And then you have 
four more toy versions, which are essentially these modern plastic looking toys. Like yeah. it looks, it's definitely off-putting, especially for the timeline. Cause you think like 1987, like you wouldn't think like shiny, like plastic animatronics. You think yeah. the kind of more fabric ones. Yeah, like the ones the you see in the first game. But yeah. like, but one thing that stands out between all of it that really puts the nail on the coffin was that one phone call that we get, I can't remember if it was the first one or second one, that states that from our previous locations, we scrapped the original unused animatronics for the older ones to be rebuilt and reused for the next location. That would probably be the second one. Yeah. Cause I, don't, Cause I think when Scott made the first game, I don't think he had a plan for this this whole, whole thing. Franchise, like this. He kind of he kind of made it up as he went, and then yeah. we picked up the pieces. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then another really important character is the puppet. Essentially, mm. this puppet character in a room where you have to keep winding up their box so that they don't come after you. And there's so many things to look out for in that second game. There's so many theories driving around it, and there's so much... There is way more gameplay from the first one to the second one, which a lot of games usually do that. They try to implant more mechanics that both full-on kind of smooth-out type of thing. Like, you, you add more to the game, so you can, but, like, you try to make it so it's, like, smooth for the players to understand, to get into, and go, oh, okay, I can understand this now. But it's also, like, they add more stuff that seems to also add to the story elements like yeah. the game over mini games. And there were definitely times where like the mechanics felt overwhelming. Like you had to wind up the music box so that the puppet didn't come after you. You had to wear a mask so the animatronics couldn't recognize your face. And then you had to flash the flashlight. The flashlight, you had to blink your flashlight at them so that they didn't see you. Yeah. It, it felt it felt like kind of managed. It felt like the original game kind of, but instead of managing two doors, it was like, oh, well, yeah, I there was to no do doors this. either. Yeah, no, but like still it's like it's like you had to watch Foxy. You had to shut one door, which is like the mask. You have to shut off another door, which is flashing the light type of thing. Got to watch out for the, those batteries. Those batteries. Good old balloon boy. Uh, and I know you're, you're trying to segue into this, but the yeah. second game definitely brought up the first mini games into the franchise, which definitely gave you a lot more backstory. So essentially what happened is there were, what was it, five kids? Yeah. That were essentially murdered and stuffed into these animatronic suits. Which was hinted at the first game from yeah. those newspaper paper clippings, but we didn't know who did it. We got like, you know, suspects like the newspapers say, but then finally with these mini games that were like more like kind of 8-bit than anything, so it was just a general representation, mm -hmm. we finally get who did it, which the internet and I think even Scott Coff himself canonically named him Purple Guy. Yeah, uh, I don't know if Scott named him that. I think that was something no. the fan base came up with because he was he was purple because yeah. he was shadow. Yeah, uh, but like I, I guess kind of um, if you th really think about it though, like Scott Coffin kept with that theming though. So yeah, he just, kept with he was, it. Yeah, so he was kind of acknowledging like this is what my fan base kind of came up with for this character. So this is what we're gonna stick with. Yep, yep, and so these animatronics are essentially haunted. And they're after you constantly yeah. in the night. That's basically what keep is that, making them like move around freely. Yeah, and that's just the general kind of core uh, gameplay mechanic was enemies come towards you, fend them off, uh, enemies survive come the towards night. You. 
Fend off. Fend Just off. rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat until you survive, and then you then do it again. All uh, continuously until you do five nights, and then the two bonus nights if you really wanted to. And then there's also this extra bonus night that you get to change the difficulty of all of them. Yeah, and that kind of brings us to the third game, which would technically be a sequel to the first. It was a sequel because it was based in like 2090-something. The Nintendo 365. Game for a year, stay for a millennia. Our new console is sleek, with 4K resolution, capable of reading high-definition Blu-ray discs. This console will have you hurting with at least 120 frames per second and 8,000 gigahertz. This console will burst into flames with how high quality it is. And now, time for a word from our customers. When I first purchased the Nintendo 365, I thought my TV could handle it. Turns out I was horribly wrong. It's melted on the ground. My cat's trying to eat it. Yeah, like this console's like totally killer, but like it got way too radical for me. It like jumped out my window before trying to bite off my foot. And I think it's now becoming a uh, kind of natural satellite orbiting the earth. I don't know. Uh, the police reports are kind of, you know, whack. This is Dr. Brown. I've recently purchased the Nintendo 365 to run some tests on it, as there have been some very strange reviews around it. Many customers claim that it has either melted or orbited the Earth or tried to eat their children, and I have to say that all of the rumors are true. Do not buy the Nintendo 365! This ad was paid for and sponsored by Satire Incorporated, making a new, brighter, humorous future just for everyone. Yeah, it was like way in the future. Something. It was so, it was weird. This one changes it up a little bit. Same concept, you are a security guard guarding the night, but you're also part of this attraction. Essentially, you are working in a museum of sorts. Yep. And the museum is of all of these old artifacts from this, like, pizzeria with this horrible history of murder. Which is just, it's canonically bringing up the original games and then also just referencing what happened in them. Yeah. And whatnot. And it's basically, you get Phone Guy, but it's Radical Phone Guy. <laughs> oh my god, they changed Phone Guy's voice in that game and yeah. it was so weird. I, I loved it, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... The weird thing about the third game, the first game, four animatronics, second game, eleven, third game, one. One animatronic. The only one that could kill you. Then there was hallucinations that you kind of had to fend off. It was it was tricky, but only what they did was made your night more difficult than it should be for yeah. the only one animatronic that could kill you, uh, get you a game over. Yeah. So you were so the animatronic that is in the third game is his name is Springtrap, and he looks similar to Bonnie, yeah. like in the sense of he's a bunny, but he's definitely not the same character. No. Um, but oh my god, that game adds so much lore. Oh, oh we're gonna get into that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, 
you essentially on your left side, you had to control how much, like your ventilation was a big problem, which caused the hallucinations. Is if you didn't keep your ventilation in check, you weren't getting enough air, which caused the hallucinations of, you know, our classic old Freddy, guys coming Bonnie, back to haunt us to this day. Chica, all that stuff. Yep. Or old friends coming back to haunt us to this day. Ooh, that was a, that was a big theme. Yeah. Uh, and then lore-wise, absolutely slap the phantom in the face. There were these weird things you had to do to get into the this game's mini games. Which a lot of people kind of started making it more. They got some of the fandom was kind of angry with the way they had to get into the mini games. One of sort them of was like literally like you, on the wall of like in the middle of the night, like while you're playing, like on the wall you had to like press on the cinder blocks in a certain way, and I can't remember how it was you, like a keypad type. Yeah, of thing. I can't remember what the combination was. I knew it at one point. But yeah, but. It, it was a lot of people deemed it just kind of like oh it's more of like a weird hallucination type thing than anything or like we can kind of discontinue it for now but like the problem with that is the mini games add so much lore to the point where that you couldn't really just brush it, right off. it off yeah especially with what the mini games revealed because the mini games you were essentially bringing all these kids cake was it like give them cake mini yeah games? it was um cake day or something like that something like, like that and. Once you brought all the kids their cake, they were, like, you would walk up to them, they were crying, you'd find the cake, bring it to them, and they were happy again. Uh, at the... Then there was one final person that you had to give cake to. Yeah. Yeah. So then the final minigame comes around, and, uh, believe it's, like, all the kids get together. It's essentially their spirits, right? Yeah. Yeah. That are haunting the animatronics, and it reveals how Springtrap came to be. Yeah. So, like... You don't want to describe, like, essentially um, what happened? So, basically, what happened was, I think each night had a minigame that you didn't have to really, f- like, kind of find. Y- you had, you basically, you played as an animatronic after every night, and you'd go to, you try to go into the back room, which was, it was a little off from the original game's layout, which kind of looked like the original game, but, like, it was, it was still different, but when you tried to get into the back area, you would be... You you're, you're, you play as the animatronics, right? And you couldn't get back there because they weren't programmed to. Purple guy makes an appearance in this, and he dismantles you each time. Mm-hmm. Each animatronic tries to go back there and gets dismantled until finally, instead of playing as animatronic, you play as a ghost of a kid, child. Yeah, and these are the ghosts that essentially haunt the animatronics as purple guy was the one who killed him, mm-hmm. and they essentially chase him down and corner him in a room. And one thing that was established in the third game was the Springtrap animatronic suits. Because Springtrap is essentially a nickname more than anything else. Basically, there are suits that spring people Springlock. That's what yeah. they were called. Yeah. There are Springlock animatronic suits because basically they use a mechanism to open up so you can get inside of the uh, animatronic suit. And, get tr- and, like, kind of... It was so, like, to save money on, mecha- like, uh, mechanical use and whatnot. So, like... The staff couldn't entertain the kids and whatnot. Problem was, though, it was prone to spring lock on you and kind of... Come undone. Done and kind so, of end your life inside the suit. So basically, the 
actual mechanical parts of the animatronic suit would be able to be pushed to the side so that a person can fit in. So these suits could essentially be an animatronic and like a mascot costume. Um, And apparently the spring locks were very easy to trigger, like sweat or tears could do it. Um, And when they go off, person's in there, all these mechanical things are just coming right into you. Yeah. And that is how Purple Guy met his end. And he was still in the spring trap suit while he's, like, you know, attacking you. Yeah. I believe. So, that's how the third game thing... That's how, like, the third game got, like, towards, like... You start figuring out more and more and you realize, Oh, the person that's trying... That's our antagonist is actually been the antagonist this whole entire time throughout the franchise. So, it kind of... You sort of kind of lose empathy for your antagonist type of yeah. thing. Yeah, and after this, uh, apparently the the entire, like, museum show thing, like, the entire place burns down afterwards. Which is weird, to Just, say the like, least. it wasn't really explained, I don't think. I think it was explained in the newspaper as a gas leak happened, and then something Yeah, gas leak, because ventilation problems. That yeah. makes sense. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people theorize your main character being... Mike Afton, who was the son of Purple Guy, who is something his, Ap- Afton. His can okay. I think Scott definitely gave him a canonical name. Vincent was it? I, I think. I, I just know his last name's Afton. You basically burned down the museum. Some people theorize as because you played as Mike Afton in the first game, or was it the second game? I don't remember. Maybe. I have no idea. Yeah, but, like, you basically... A lot of people kind of theorize you're looking for your father to kind of put him at rest type of thing. Yeah, because he's, you know, gone. Yeah. Murdered some children. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. We just kind of lay him to rest so he can stop doing his dirty deeds. Yeah. Done dirt cheap. Jeez. I had to put the <laughs> reference in somewhere. So, that kind of brings us to the fourth game, which... I remember when the trailers first dropped... And people were so thrown off guard because you weren't in, like, a pizzeria. You weren't in, like, a building. Um, A building where maybe, perhaps, animatronics resided? Like, it made sense why animatronics were there. This time you were in your house. And you played as a child. A child. Like, a little ten-year-old. Little ten-year-old Timmy. Which, um, going back to how our first episode, we talked about how... Love game mechanics story-wise and like mechanics in general could be explained off as child's imagination and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So in the fourth game, a lot of people chalked up to either child's nightmares or a child's imagination gone wild. Mm-hmm. And then this one thing. So essentially, you were this little kid, you were in your room and you had to walk around your room checking your hallways and checking your closet and checking your bed which that also threw off players too because you could actually move you were actually walking around yeah which from the first game to the third game a lot of the time add this weird claustrophobic kind of paralysis type situation where it it kind of ties into the like terror and horror aspect of it is like you're stuck in this confined room in one spot and sort of like um if we play in the more paralysis side of things, the par- like paralysis demons of sorts come at you from all sides, which 
can tie into kind of like what triggered people to be terrified of this game. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever experienced sleep paralysis before, but like you are, like there's no moving, there's nothing. Like you can try to scream and like no voice comes out. The only thing you could do is look around. Essentially, and that's what the first three games were is you were stuck in this one position and you were looking around and you were essentially trying to block off whatever was coming at you. But you could actually walk around in the fourth game, which was weird. It, it was kind of revolutionary type of thing. Yeah, for the franchise. Yeah. And um. so when the game dropped, um, obviously people were thrown off guard. And then the animatronics, like, slowly, like, it, they looked significantly more terrifying. I... I honestly have a lot of appreciation for Scott Cawthon and his ability to design these animatronics in a way that, like, they are so terrifying to look at. Like, if yeah. you just Google a picture of, like, Nightmare Freddy versus, you know, first game Freddy, it's, it's uncanny almost. Yeah, it's terrifying. Which, also, speaking of uncanny, another aspect of how the games kind of ran with, with the horror aspect of it all, was the kind of uncanny movements you saw with the animatronics and like just the just the way they're presented kind of also yeah. add this significant horror to things like you didn't you you saw them and you're kind of like you thought of mascots and people who are scared of mascots probably got terrified of that but the way they moved throughout the whole place was also kind of like that weird type of mannequin or the let's I want to deem it the kind of um it was like, I can't remember it was from Doctor Who, but like the Fallen Angel oh, premise. Oh, those statues yes. that like you have to keep looking at them. Yeah. I want to deem the Fallen the falling Angel premises where it's a still type of object that either when you're not looking at it or a certain distance away will start moving towards you. Essentially, that's what the game's kind of played off. And... Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but the inspiration for the first game happened because Scott Cawthon made this, like, this little children's game, essentially. This, this Christian kind of, um... Little wholesome game. Yeah. With these little, like, I don't know if they were, like, woodchucks or something. Woodchucks or beavers or something like that. Something like that. And people vastly criticized the game because the character models reminded them of animatronics. And that's where the fear of animatronics comes from. I, that is like the a very mass, very common phobia. Yeah. And essentially comes from just the way they move. Why do you think people are scared of snakes? It's because of the way they move. It looks unnatural to you. It looks, you kind of get this from, from mascots and whatnot. You get this uncanny valley type of situation where it's just like, you understand how it should move. It's just, it doesn't feel right. No. And just... it It's just terrifying for people who just don't understand it sometimes. No, and that's kind of what made the game special, in a sense, is... Or, well, games, plural, especially when the first one came out, was the fact that you were... It did so many things new. When... It definitely started a genre type of thing. It definitely has its own genre now. I remember when I was a kid, the horror games that I, well, knew about, not played, I was too scared, was like Slender, where you're walking around and this guy just kind of pops up in the it, forest. It, it, if all that trope in a lot of video games were the collect-a-thon. 
Yeah, yeah. Or even just like you're in like a abandoned hospital and there's ghosties and there's just jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. A lot of the horror games before FNAF was indie type of walking simulators. Essentially. But with Five Nights at Freddy's, it took those concepts throughout the window. Yes, there were jump scares, and a lot of the time the jump scares even got to be too much, depending on which game and which night. Yeah. But you look at, essentially, how should I word this? You look at a walking simulator, and the jump scares are usually uncalled for. They're just there to get get a reaction from you. Yeah. Unlike the other games where, like, yes, there is some times where you get, like, a, you get a spook. But it's not a jump scare. Each one of... This is where I was trying to get to. Each one of your actions in the Five Nights at Freddy's games have consequences. You use, Definitely. Your, you you use don't, your camera too much, you run out of batteries. You don't check Pirate's Cove too much, he comes after you. You don't flick your light too much or enough, someone's going to pop out. If you miss something or you do something too much, that's all on you. You are in complete control but at the same time you're not yeah it's the type of thing where you're you're it's the it's the astronaut behind the it's the astronaut behind the controls but it's more like um mission control controlling the mission yeah so i think that's what made the game initially stand out and then people took every single concept and ran with it which kind of gets to our last brief topic hopefully about the fan base of five nights at freddy's because it has existed for seven years and that's a that's not a long time for a fan base but that is a decent amount of time yeah like it it caused it it caused a phenomenon of sorts yeah it it started a whole new trend of games where you either micromanage somewhere with usually cameras and usually antagonists inside the building somehow that you had to fend off or it was a complete clone of the game. Yeah. Usually with just different, with asset, uh, asset switches. Different assets. Yeah, which assets is just a, it's a gaming term for a model or like a image or something like that. or, yeah. Anything that goes into the game that's like usually an object that is presented in the game. Yeah, a big part of the Five Nights at Freddy's fandom was obviously the theories surrounding the story, but there was also other little things like obviously you got your ships and fan base and your fan art and your fan fiction and I'll admit I was knees deep in it back uh, in 2015. I'll admit I only watched Game Theory. Boy, <laughs> you, oh you you. I missed out, which I'm kind of. No, no, you didn't. You didn't miss yeah, out. Yeah, no, I was gonna say I missed out on that, but I'm glad I kind of missed no, out. No, you're yeah. glad you missed out because fan bases are terrifying they're essentially like there can be good parts they're essentially cults minus the religion yeah well no sometimes it it can be represented as a religion of sorts but you don't see them going praying whatnot they are praying to freddy fazbear yeah which if we if we do delve deep more into fan bases fan bases kind of do act like a sort of cult Cult situation yeah which is you compare a fan base to religion, compare that to cult, there's a lot of overlap, which is very yeah. interesting. Which is kind about. of like the blind following, the initial, the initial like getting into it, the kind of like separation there's from. Stages. It's yeah. Like, it's like five stages of grief getting into a fan base. It's not even that. There's actually like steps that a cult that usually, uh, usually a cult goes by, like the initial getting into it. Like, if you come into our cult, we'll give you like. 
we'll give, give you, you brownies. Yeah, we'll give you brownies. You'll like achieve your goals. You'll be your your wife will come back to you type of thing. My wife. My wife left me. But like, and I then and then as you get into it, there's a second stage where it's just like, no, no. Now you have to you have to try harder. You have to you have to delve your time into it, and then you'll start getting the things you want and stuff like that. Which is, and then like the next step of that is like, you have to kind of like. You, you basically sacrifice so much time and effort into it that you're so far into it that you might as well just become part of the cult type of thing. Yeah, and uh, I, we definitely could do an episode on that one. We can, we can dive so deep into like how fan bases react and whatnot. Yeah, but I think we're reaching our limit, so... Well, I... Hey, we didn't really talk. We, like, we kind of skipped some points, but, like, we talked about a lot. Like, we got really oh, far. Oh, yeah. So... I hope you guys enjoyed the second episode of XP Podcast, and hopefully we slowly improve as we continue on. Do you have any last words um, before I kill you? Jesus. Uh, before I get sacrificed, um, I want to state that basically we're probably the next game, or the next game, we're going to probably talk about the next concept and what for, not for the next episode, and then we'll be uh, diving deep into that, and we're going to talk about some stuff. We definitely probably uh, missed some spots for this episode, but we definitely delved deep into our subject, and we stayed on. We stayed really good on track for this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually kind of proud of this. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you.